This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. sales at an all-time high as a result of the global COVID-19 pandemic, sustainable packaging is more important than ever. As sales rise, so do concerns about the environmental toll of all that extra packaging waste being sent straight to landfills, which are already almost at full capacity. In this episode, I speak with Lauren Olson, the Zero Waste Manager at WorldCentric, an eco-friendly packaging company about how businesses are creating eco-friendly solutions to the packaging problem, how you as a consumer can be aware of certain packaging materials to either avoid or look for, and tips for reducing your overall plastic packaging consumption. Hi, Good Together listeners. We're so excited to have you listen today um, all about uh, the dirt on sustainable takeout. So this is a really interesting topic. And the reason why we chose to um, talk to today's guest about it is because more people than ever are ordering takeout during the pandemic. And that's really raising concerns of the environmental toll of all of this extra packaging waste that's being generated and sent to the landfill. So on today's episode of Good Together, we're excited to welcome Lauren Olson, the Zero Waste Manager at World Centric. Lauren holds a master's degree in community sustainability, and she specializes in, I'm sorry, in her, in her degree specializes in decision-making about waste. She also has a Bachelor of Science degree in envir environmental economics, and both of those are coming from Michigan State University. So welcome, Lauren. We're so glad to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So this question, I think, was one that's all on our minds, right? Like we, you know, because of the pandemic have been forced to change a lot of our daily behaviors, um, one of which is, you know, going out to restaurants. And of course, um, things are kind of ebbing and flowing with the way the pandemic is sort of rising and, and, and coming down. But in general, I would say, you know, before the pandemic, many businesses were shifting to more eco-friendly practices. And now we kind of feel like, uh, you know, it's, potentially uh, taking some steps back in the name of safety. Um, but before we get into that, I wonder if you can just kind of introduce yourself and your company and then we can we kind of can get into it. Sure. Yeah. So as you mentioned, my name is Lauren Olson. I'm the Zero Waste Manager at World Centric. And uh, we are pretty much the only company that only makes compostable food serviceware, meaning we make takeout um, packaging 
but we don't use any um, petroleum plastics, uh, styrofoam, expanded polystyrene um, is a technical term there. Um, so none of that stuff that you might think of when it comes to plastic pollution. And we focus on items that are compostable in commercial composting environments. So that means facilities that are designed to compost uh, things more than just your backyard composting operation. Yeah. And I'm glad that you make that distinction because it's one that we hear our audience is kind of frequently um, confused about where you read on the label, something says compostable and, you know, people think, oh, I can just kind of go out and drop it in my backyard compost heap. So I'm glad that you make that distinction for the audience because most of the time, um, you know, when you're seeing packaging like this, you just want to check to make sure uh, what what that's uh, rated for. And I, I would imagine this is just a, a guess and maybe you can help me with, would, would you say that most uh, quote unquote compostable packaging being produced by companies like yours um, is, is most of the time limited to those more commercial facilities? I would say for the most part, yes. Yeah. Um, if it's not, it would say home compostable on the item. Okay. Um, we do have like our plastic, they, well, they're bioplastic, um, food scrap bags and things like that, that are home compostable. Um, and so those are certified as such. And that's a different testing process on the commercial composting. And that's not to say that home composters couldn't compost our products. Uh, but I would say the normal home, home composter, even myself, um, just doesn't have um, that good of a composting system in order to do it. It's yep. really best if you have, you know, someone who's like, it's their job to <laughs> exactly. compost these items and they um, know the science of it and went to school for it. Um, and as opposed to us just trying to, you know, live our busy daily lives and having so many things to worry about, um, you just might not have that great of a composting system in order to break that stuff down effectively. Exactly. That makes total sense. So yeah, as a consumer, sounds like we should be just on the lookout for the label that says home composting, um, if that's something that you're interested in. Other, otherwise, you can um, dispose of these containers and the, uh, excuse me, uh, dispose of these um, packaging materials in containers that are designated for this type of, um, you know, this type of packaging. And, you know, I would imagine, you know, the restaurants that have them uh, typically will collect them. And then, you know, some, some places have compost bins that are curbside. And actually that's another question I had for you, which is, um, you know, if you're in a community, for instance, I live in the city of Seattle who does have compost bins um, available for, for waste management. Um, would you classify that as a place where I could put it in, right? Is, is that like the, the quote unquote commercial composting route? Would that work in some cases? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, in some cases, like probably in your area, you're able to compost a whole slew of compostable products in addition to your food scraps and food waste. Um, but in a lot of places, you're not able to do that. Yep. And there's quite a few reasons for that. Um, you know, some composters are afraid of inviting compostable products into their mix because they're afraid of contamination, mm. uh, just because consumers are not very good sometimes at differentiating products. Yep. And if they get plastic or just if people start thinking they can put all sorts of different stuff in there, like glass. Yeah. Then, you know, their compost can get kind of ruined and um, 
that's a big issue, obviously, because then they don't have the feedstock to make their stuff or they have to destroy entire loads. So, you know, that can be an issue for sure. Um, Another issue is that unfortunately, um, USDA does not allow compostable products to be put into compost that are certified organic. Okay. Um, And I think this is pretty silly because, you know, when you think about the food that we eat, a lot of it is just so modified. Maybe not you and I, but other people, <laughs> sure. of course. Um, you know, we all like do. We all do. Corn syrup, <laughs> you know, the dyes and stuff like that. We never eat any of that. You know, <laughs> no, um, no, no Doritos <laughs> for me. No, <laughs> oh, never. Um, <laughs> not even during the height of the pandemic when we really, really need that junk food. Uh, That's didn't right. Touch it. Didn't touch it at all. Um, so you know, um, that sort of stuff is just so. Um, you know, what they consider synthetic, which is meaning it's made in a lab, like Mm -hmm. how bioplastic is fermented corn that goes through several different laboratory processes to come from the corn in order to turn into um, bioplastic. Um, You know, so I disagree with their sort of uh, way that they've interpreted that, but so it goes, it's, it's been very difficult to change. Um, So that's another reason why composters might not accept it. That's so interesting. And so one thing that we tell our audience to do, whether you're recycling, composting, um, even throwing away trash, is make sure that you're referencing the materials that your waste management service sent you, right? So a lot of times they, nowadays they stick it on the can directly, which is super helpful, but you will also get some materials from them when you sign up for service. If you've lost those, as, as we do sometimes, you can also just call them up or go on their website to see, but you're right. I think it really does vary by um, sort of region. Um, but I, one thing that you said that I find really interesting and I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me is that the compost facilities themselves can have a little bit of a fear, right? They don't want this cross-contamination. And I think um, we have so many um, improvements that need to be made in the system in general. Um, but it's, it is difficult for consumers to figure out what goes where. Um, I think it's difficult for consumers to also understand like greenwashing and whether or not something actually is eco-friendly. Um, you know, I actually, um, am expecting my first child, which I'm super excited about, but I kind of went down this, uh, rabbit hole with diapers. Um, and you know, we, I'm going to give, uh, sorry, I'm going to give reusable diapers a chance, um, cloth diapers, if you will. But I also was curious about like what makes up an eco-friendly diaper. And there's such a rabbit hole there around companies pretending to be compostable and not. So suffice it to say, I would say that, um, you know, it, this is a, an issue that is is difficult. So when we think about coming back to the problem at hand from a consumer perspective, um, and kind of getting back to one of the original reasons we wanted to chat with you was was about uh, waste with takeout. Um, I think it's really interesting for us to discuss the um, you know the business side of things, right? So I wonder, Lauren, if you, if you had any sort of thoughts on how businesses maybe were attempting to possibly move to different, uh, you know, plastic waste reduction methods within their restaurants before the pandemic. Um, and then if you, if you like feel like the pandemic has actually altered it, you know, like are people just saying, no, let's go back to the old plastic cause it's cheaper. I'm curious to know kind of what your, your thoughts are there. Yeah. You know, it's hard to say cause I am, I'm not like boots on the ground sales sure. uh, yep. for world centric, but you know, I do get a lot of feedback from different um, 
salespeople in our company, as well as like you, I just am too noticing of all these different things Mm -hmm. going on. Um, And I think the pandemic really did hurt the smaller restaurants. Um, And you probably saw this around you too. It's just that, you know, they, they're, they're really struggling. And um, in some ways I saw them move like this one particular restaurant that I often visit, they moved from compostable to styrofoam. And I asked why, and they said it was a cost thing because they've just been, they're hurting so much. Um, and that's where ordinances can be really nice. Um, we have quite a few local ordinances in California, yep. but really they're all over the country, um, that ban styrofoam, for example, or expanded polystyrene. So there's over 200 different ordinances across the country banning this. And I think that's a great step because then it puts it more at a level playing field for yes. all the different restaurants involved. So it's not just like, well, why should I take this on when no one else is and, you know, kind of get this existential crisis of what's the point, you know, yep. and I'm, I'm already feeling such strain. So that's where I really feel as though the, the power of the local ordinance is really great. And then we've seen other states too, um, like most recently, Virginia has moved to ban styrofoam um, across the entire state. Yeah, that's so, I mean, it's so powerful because we talk a lot about the, you know, intersection between consumer behavior, business behavior, and government behavior to really create change at scale. And I think um, when you talk about the ordinances and, and leveling the playing field, it's such an interesting perspective, right? Because you're you're totally correct. If all the businesses are required to operate on the same level, then it no longer becomes an option to really cut costs in that way, right? They can't, you know, rely on, on, on that particular lever to help, help their business or, you know, how, however they, they see it. Um, so that's really interesting. And, um, to me is a, a very actionable thing that people can do, right? If you see an ordinance around waste or around materials, the banning of such things in your, in your region on your ballot, you can actually feel confident that if something like that passes, it's going to make a demonstrable difference, maybe even more so than like the abstract of voting for a politician who quote unquote says they're serious about climate change, right? (laughs) It's a little bit more specific and actionable. So that's great. Yeah. And a lot of times too, these ordinances are just done at the city, township, Mm -hmm. municipality, you know, level, um, county. So you can just contact those people and be like, Hey, I support this. And you know, they're going, it's, it's a lot happening nationwide. Yeah. But you know, with the pandemic too, we also did see a rise in wrapped, um, people wanted maybe like wrapped pottery, um, you know, there was for a while you couldn't bring your own reusable bags into grocery stores. Yep. So some plastic bag bans were being um, pushed back or not even enforced because of the fear of contamination on surfaces. I feel like that's kind of waned. Um, yep. I follow that tangentially. I mean, World Centric does not make replacement biodegradable um, plastic bags because we just don't really support that whole industry because it's so easy to just bring a reusable bag. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's just interesting that, you know, there was such such fear of surface contamination that it really went to this um, uh, more packaging, uh, <laughs> wanting well, environment. 
Yeah. And to me, the interesting thing about all of that, right, was a lot of it was just a lack of information. And I think that's been another thing that's been, you know, a potential criticism of any government in the, the world pick it with, with the way the pandemic's been handled is just because, sure, we were all kind of learning together, but there were some things where for a while, you're right, everybody was so worried about surface contamination. And then as it came out, well, actually, you know, it's most likely was not as big of a deal as was thought originally. So, you know, I think a lot of us were upset with, you know, chains like Starbucks that were saying, well, you couldn't bring your own reusable cup in. They've now allowed that back in some places. So I am glad to see that that's kind of healing, if you will. Um, but yeah, in general, I was surprised by that too. Of course, while we were all in a state of, um, you know, uncertainty and worry, There's there were other things to worry about, of course, too. But it, it's always kind of an interesting cycle to think about. Um, so we talked a little bit about styrofoam. Um, and that to me always sticks out as like one that I just, every time I see anything that's styrofoam, I want to pull my hair out. Um, especially like still today, you know, if you get products that come from certain countries, sometimes they're still enclosed in styrofoam. It drives me nuts. Um, but in addition to styrofoam, what would you say there's, uh, what are some other harmful materials sort of found in packaging that most restaurants use? Yeah, I would say expanded polystyrene, um, okay. or as it's commonly called a styrofoam, but it's actually a, um, a misnomer. It's um, styrofoam is like a different type of product, but I call it that anyway, because oh, interesting. locally what, you know, we all say. Mm-hmm. So, um, but this expanded polystyrene is like the actual product that's used in food service packaging. Okay. And I would say still that that is um, probably the most toxic packaging product that we're continuously exposed to for um, food service where that's like takeout. Um, there's mm-hmm. other things that happen in, in food packaging that I studied in a previous position, um, you know, that like can linings, for example, are something yep. to be aware of. Um, but when we're talking about takeout, expanded polystyrene, because um, styrene is considered a probable uh, carcinogen and, you know, it's not fully polymerized or bonded with the material. So it um, could possibly migrate into food, uh, particularly hot food. So Mm. definitely maybe avoid that coffee in that styrofoam container. Um, But I understand where places are coming from because it can be pretty cheap. Uh, because of all the oil subsidies, it's a direct um, derivative of the the oil production process. So when they're making the crude oil or natural gas um, into different products, they get styrene as a byproduct. So it's a great way for the petrochemical companies to get rid of that byproduct is to make um, EPS or expanded okay. polystyrene. Well, there you go. So it comes back to, of course, it's always going to come back to the bottom line, but that's really interesting to know. I mean, I did know that some packaging like like styrofoam, um, you know, was a, an oil byproduct, but it's really interesting to know that it's not only it's a byproduct, it's like used from waste, um, which obviously these oil companies would want to get you get rid of that waste. Um, another one that I was always curious about is you see it pretty frequently um, in take out uh, where you've got like a liquid component where you've got those kind of plastic containers. So what about plastics when we think about like clear plastic, either like clam shells or even like those thicker plastic, almost like soup containers, if you will. Time and time again, you texted, emailed and DM'd us for our take 
on a planet-friendly way to purchase our tried and tested Brightly favorites. Because while the world of conscious consumerism is exploding, making mindful, planet-friendly purchases can still be a challenge. That's where the Brightly shop comes in. To reduce some of the eco-overwhelm, every product we sell has been hand-picked and vetted by the Brightly team. You won't find anything in the shop that has less than five stars. We've gone through hundreds of eco-products to discover new and emerging brands that solve sustainability problems for you every day. We even designed our own products like beeswax wraps to keep things fun and to help you live brightly. So how do we help you shop sustainably? The shop launches on the first Monday of each month and is open for five days. So the shorter, planet-friendly shopping window allows us to only order what we need. After the shop closes, we pack and ship out products in bulk. This low-impact supply chain reduces waste and keeps the planet happy. Brightly is also climate neutral certified. Because we are committed to climate action, we have set our entire carbon footprint from operations to shipping. We believe in the power of collective change, and we are so glad you're joining us on this journey. Go to shop.brightly.eco to see what's in store. Yeah, I always am concerned about plastics and heat. Um, Mm, So, for example... Um, you know, something you should be aware of as upcoming new mother is, you know, hand washing your plastics and um, not putting them in the dishwasher because there's been studies that when heat and pressure in particular is applied to plastics, that that, again, the unpolymerized, so the unreacted um, plastic chemicals can migrate to the top of the surface and then into your food later on when you put your food in there. Um, But, you know, that's not really typically type like the concern for food packaging, for example, or like just takeout, Um, you know, it's probably not great to have something hot sitting in there for a long period of time, but I don't think there's any empirical studies that that particularly causes migration. I think the bigger thing is like microwaving or dishwashing. Um, But of course, you know, by using um, petroleum-based plastic, you're kind of buying into the whole um, petrochemical industry. So if that's something that you don't want to support, then that's, you know, you should probably not use plastics because, um, you're supporting the whole sort of food chain and everything that goes into the extraction process from refining to creating the plastic, um, in every step of the way has environmental as well as social costs, particularly to these fence line communities, um, near these processing facilities that are are making the different plastic products out of the the crude um, oil and natural gas. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a good summary of why plastic, in addition to the fact that it sticks around for so long and is you know a huge problem from a waste perspective. I think it's really interesting to consider even before we get there, right? Like before the products even made the really damaging environmental and social impact that it can have. So I think that's super interesting. The other thing I'll mention, uh, as you were talking about dishwashers, um, I know, I remember growing up, I had some friends who their families were really into, I mean, it's funny, they're almost like zero waste before it was cool, (laughs) but they were really into saving as many containers as they could. And I'm specifically remembering one friend whose mother would actually put those kind of plastic containers back in the dishwasher because she like wanted to reuse them. And so 
I think it is a good call out that you mentioned that it's it's probably not a good idea to put, you know, things that are not designed for like multiple use uh, back in the in the dishwasher and exposing them to high, high heat. I think most people are generally familiar with the fact that you shouldn't be microwaving things in plastics, but I think just kind of having that reminder in addition to just trying to avoid packaging um, you know, uh, in plastic in general is good. And I think, um, as we think about like what consumers can, can do, I think for me, of course, I do try and bring my own vessels, if you will, with me when I'm shopping specifically bags. Um, but when you go, have you actually ever gone to, I've never done this before. Um, have you ever been to gone to a takeout place with your own containers and asked them to, to put that in there? Have you ever done that before? No, and it's yep. weird because it seems like I would be hardcore enough to do that. <laughs> well, this is why but, we have these convos, right? Like, I but, think we, we know, can know I, all of this and still not do it, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's at the same time, I'm calling ahead and yeah. getting the stuff done, you know, and, you know, it's like just trying to race around. Um, you know how it goes. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I, I never have, you know, oftentimes I'll bring my own um, reusable bag yep. um, pre-pandemic. Lately, it's it's still been difficult. They come already packaged in a plastic bag. Um, so, you know, I guess it is what it is. I try to say on the phone, like, I'll bring my own bag, but mm-hmm. it doesn't always translate or get through to the yep. final push. Um, yeah, it's true. We, I think I we think, all try. You know, <laughs> the best system really would be um, a deposit reusable system. That's kind yes. of my vision for the future. Um, but having this toxics background, I'm always concerned about what would that um, particular durable material be? Mm. Um, so uh, for example, the, the plant-based bioplastic that we most often use, PLA, um, derived from corn, um, doesn't, um, do well at high heat Mm. and, um, but you can add, so for like our, um, our cutlery that's made from it, we add talc as a annealing agent. So that's a mineral. Um, and yes, it's checked for asbestos, but you're not eating it anyway. Um, so, you know, that's used to like strengthen the biopolymer so that it can withstand the heat. Um, but I'm like, I don't know how that would withstand for a lot of dishwashing. Cause if you had this deposit reusable future, you would obviously want to wash it in a commercial dishwasher on high heat because yeah. it's going to random people. Um, and so, you know, I think oftentimes what would that material be? I see other companies coming out with, you know, regular type plastic, either, um, number one PET or, um, some sort of composite and, you know, that concerns me on the high heat system. And then I'm like, well, maybe metal, but then, um, you think about the cost upfront cost of that and how yep. much the deposit would be. So I still haven't figured out in my mind how like this, uh, reusable deposit system might work, but yep. I feel like it has to, it no, has to I be totally worked out <laughs> because it would be just so much easier for, the restaurant to have this like clean thing to, to put it into when I call ahead rather yeah. than um, making it into this, this huge ordeal. Yeah. And I mean, one, um, one thing I always like to think about as an interesting parallel that exists today. And again, it's, it's using metal. So I don't know again, how, how good that is, but you know, in India, um, you know, there is quite 
uh, a movement where people will get lunches and meals delivered to them that are home cooked and they use these tiffin, um, you know, these, these metal tiffin containers, and they kind of reuse them and take them back. So I often think about that too. I, I, I think about systems where we could rent things, but um, yeah, in terms of being the person that shows up with your own actual takeout containers, you can, um, but I, I totally agree. It's, it sometimes can be a little bit strange. Um, you, you may or may not be able to actually in, like make sure that happens, right? Like maybe you, like you said, you called and you said, Hey, I'll, I'll bring my own bag. Well, you might end up not getting through to the right person. So in general, one thing that I personally do is, you know, and it's easier said than done now in today's pandemic world, but I will actively try to just go into the restaurant. Um, and then what I do, you know, so instead of going to takeout, so maybe I'll sit outside or something and I'll just kind of not use a container from that perspective, but then I will bring a glass sort of, um, you know, a glass, uh, with a lid container that I use frequently and use that to take home my leftovers. So that's the only one that I could say listeners that I, I do more or less regularly when I can, um, of course, again, eating in person though, it can be pretty, can be pretty dicey depending on where you are right now. So, you know, we, we don't have any great solutions here, but I think it's really, it's interesting to kind of deconstruct uh, the behavior. Um, and, and I'm wondering too, like, so if we think about, we've, we've really, I think, covered the packaging issue pretty, pretty extensively. Um, and I'm wondering, like, if you were to talk to a small business owner who is, you know, potentially facing, you know, record low profits because of this, the, the pandemic and they're struggling and, and they're like, okay, I'm going to go into to packaging. Would you give them any other potential uh, levers that they could pull? Like where else could businesses actually look to make changes elsewhere to kind of mitigate these environmental costs other than packaging? I'm curious. You know, that's a really good question. I feel unqualified to answer. Of course. Yeah, no, I know none of us are, are small business or restaurant owners, but I, I'm wondering, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's curious. It makes me curious. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think a great lever to have an ordinance, for example, is yeah. that, um, for example, like silverware, cutlery or anything like that, napkins, um, that all that has to be upon request. Okay, and I love so that. Yeah, that's a great way to, um, you know, most likely, especially now, people are eating at home. They're just taking yep. that right home, so they're not like, you know, eating it outside. And if you have that plan anyway, you might might as well just like bring your own metal or whatever wood yep. uh, utensils, and um, because you've already planned on that. And so I think that's a great um, thing to have an ordinance because it really helps the restaurant save money because they're not just giving this away blindly. People know that they can't do that. So yep. it's not like the restaurant's being stingy. It's a local ordinance. They have to yep. abide by it. Um, and uh, it's a great way to be able to utilize, for example, compostable food service or foodware like uh, cutlery and things like that without, um, which might have a slightly higher price point than, um, your cheap, um, petroleum based component. Um, and you not feel bad about it because you're not giving away as many. 
Yeah, and that's another thing we can do as consumers. Like even if there's not an ordinance, you can make sure in addition to telling the restaurant, hey, I don't need a bag, you can also say, hey, I also don't need silverware or cutlery. And that's something um, where I've noticed a lot of the delivery apps now have a checkbox on there where you can say whether or not you need that, which I think is a really good positive thing that tech has done to help. But um, you're totally right. I think I think that's a really a great way that, that businesses could potentially cut down on that. Um, and then I also just from a, from a silly aspect, maybe we should all just have sandwiches, <laughs> things that we don't need battery for, right? No, just kidding. <laughs> only support hands, only food. <laughs> um, but Lauren, um, this has been so fascinating. And I think, you know, we could probably talk all day long about polymers and things like that, but we, we won't bore the listeners too much. Um, so to kind of conclude our episode, we typically like to ask our guests um, a, a very similar question across, which would be, what really excites you personally the most about the ethical and sustainable movement right now as you see it? Oh, that's tough to say because I do feel a little down this week. I have to sure. admit with yeah. the um, intergovernmental panel on climate change um, yep. latest report. Um, and um so right now, I would say I feel a little bleak. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we all feel know, like feel, that. Yeah, <laughs> feel pretty concerned about you know the conveyor belt of you know hot and cold water that brings um, the warmer temperatures to Europe, like about that mm-hmm. slowing down. Um, but I guess what excites me is that you know we're able to have this type of conversation. Yes. Um, and that there are companies like World Centric, who is a B Corp and gives away 25% of its profits to extreme poverty and supports the compostable food service movement out there, um, you know, doing something. Um, and, you know, at times like this week, I can feel a little, uh, you know, <laughs> um, have a little bit of an existential crisis about it in terms yeah. of. Um, you know, uh, how much a single consumer or a single company can make that much of a difference. But I guess in the end, we have to to hold on what we can control. Um, so I think it's great that, that we're having this conversation and that there's other people besides just you and me that are interested in this type of topic. Absolutely. And I, I totally agree with you. The, the, the report out, um, just, you know, a few days ago, really at the time of this recording by the IPCC is really concerning to really anyone, uh, who cares. I mean, it should be concerning to anyone who lives on this planet. Um, but anyone who has any inkling of eco-friendly living or, or concern there is, is definitely reading this and, and feeling down. Um, but I would say we actually just did a really interesting episode where we talked uh, about climate anxiety um, with a psychologist, which was interesting. And so she had some some tips on, um, you know, trying to, to kind of dig ourselves out of these holes. But I think it's mm. important to just recognize that, you know, there are some some facts that are unpleasant. And I think the more that we can read these things, internalize them, and then kind of turn around um, and get back to work in whatever way that we feel comfortable with is, is the best path forward. So, you know, we talk a lot about uh, living with your values here at Good Together and Brightly. Um, we talk about shopping, those values, et cetera. But, you know, if you're really concerned about um, the environmental impact of packaging and plastics, et cetera, doing things like we talked about in this episode um, such as, you know, reducing your packaging waste when you go get takeout is just one way that you can, you can make a small difference. And of course, 
as always, governments um, can make a lot of strides here in a positive direction too. So don't forget to pay attention to your local elections. Uh, we just had a primary here in Seattle, which is interesting. Um, I can't remember the last time I really was active in a primary, but I certainly was here. So taking a look at who's going to be doing the city budget, <laughs> stuff <laughs> like that, that might not seem particularly interesting. You can really dig into people's backgrounds and understand like how they're going to approach these problems because they might sound, it might sound kind of boring, but there definitely is a downstream impact there. So as always, listeners, you can make a difference. That's why we have this podcast here. Um, Lauren, it's been wonderful talking with you. Um, and uh, we really appreciate having you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And um, good luck with everything in your upcoming uh, pregnancy. <laughs> Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.